You're listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com. So, uh, again, uh, to all of you, happy Lord's Day. Um, God is good, Jesus is faithful, and he's Lord. And um, I hope that uh, today, by the reading of his word, and uh, as Andrea said, the preaching of his word, that you would be encouraged and equipped uh, with everything that you need to go out um, and be all that God has created you to be, right? Uh, in the most biblical um, sense uh, of the term, and in the most non-secular sense of the term, right? Um, to be all that God God means for you to be, to grow up into the head, uh, which is Christian maturity, right? That's 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 what that is. That's the that's the goal. Um, so today, uh, verse ten really doesn't go with verse eleven, as it were. But uh, we got long-winded last week, and by we I mean me, and uh, so no fault of your own. Uh, <clears throat> we'll be looking at verse 10, 11, and 12 today. We'll read it to you one more time, and then we'll jump off into the headship of Christ here in verse 10. Um, Ephesians 1, 10 through 12, these are the words of God. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, not ours, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. What a mouthful, what a mouthful uh, these verses are. I mean, every single uh, time a buddy of mine at work asked me this week, uh, uh, Mr. Moore, who's an elder at Savo, what are you guys preaching to right now? Uh, Ephesians chapter one. He, he, his reaction was actually this, oh man, Right, because it's just, it, it it's just, uh, I mean, every Christian just kind of looks at it and goes, oh man, right, I mean, that's incredible. Uh, it is just such rich land uh, that, we're, that we're farming these days in, in the word of God. So uh, let's take a look at verse 10 and see what this is about. Um, it is very clearly to me about uh, the nature of time, right? So it's talking about the fullness of time. Uh, but in doctrinally, what it's talking about, I think tr- really what he's wanting them to understand is that, number one, uh, Jesus has come in his own good and perfect timing, that um, this time has been ordained, that it's, it, it, you know, God has come with his own plan in his own time, and his own time is perfect. And then also the, so the, the other piece that's there is when it says here, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him. So that's referring to, to God's lordship, um, his headship, um, which uh, in times past when we talk about headship in here, normally it refers to gender roles within the marriage. Um, uh, it's not normally the headship of Christ, which is quite unfortunate uh, because it's, uh, to me, the much more larger close-handed doctrine there. Um, and so uh, the headship of Jesus, uh, that is to say, Jesus holds everything together or just like the, the, the headship in the household code, Jesus is first. So <clears throat> verse 10 in short is about this, the perfect timing of God and uh, God being head 
and God being Lord. So headship, lordship, you can frame that in your notes however you need to, right? The headship of Christ, the lordship of Christ, the perfection of time. But that really is what verse 10 is all about. Uh, now, let's, we'll start with, with the, the time piece and then we'll get to the head, headship part as it kind of culminates there. Um, nature of time. We are, we are a culture that is obsessed with time. Um, on my grandfather and now grandmother's grandfather clock in her house, um, <clears throat> in a little globe, as many of these grandfathers from this era does, it says the Latin words, tempus fugit, which translates into English, time flies, right? Um, and that is very true, right? Uh, time absolutely flies. Uh, we, as Americans, uh, are more worried about time than others in the rest of the world. And you don't have to travel far to see that. Um, you, can, you can just slip across a border and tell that we are altogether obsessed with time, right? Um, in most of the world, in most of the world, the churches that had a church service today had a plan on when to start and then had a true time of when they were going to start. Now, ours looks like about 10 to 15 minutes. Most of the world goes for half hour, an hour, two hours late, er, and then we'll stay much, much longer. Why? Because the, the premium currency in those cultures is not time. Does that make sense? And so... They just look at it and value it differently than we do. For us, we're consummate entrepreneurs by spirit in, in our nation, and and uh, at least we used to be capitalists in this country, uh, meaning meaning that we really had a great premium on time. That is to say, quote, to a capitalist, time is money. Does that make sense? And and that that's really where that entrepreneurial spirit comes from, those people who are trying to, right, get out there and make money and make the next dollar. Time is money, and that's really important to them. Well, that is that is etched into the national culture. Uh, good or bad, right or wrong, north or south, east or west, it is certainly something uh, that Americans uh, value more than other cultures. Um, we love to, as a people, speaking of that, get more time. Uh, we love to occasionally forget time. We would like to take back time or, in some cases, freeze time. God made time. He made matter, uh, and so which is space. So God made time and space and is bigger than and outside of both of them, though able to freely enter both, which he has and does all the time. Um, and yet, our verses say here, speaking of entering time and space, that he entered time and space in the fullness of time just at the right time, right? That this, this Christian festival, this holiday forthcoming in Christmas, which celebrates uh, the coming of Christ, not by its day being the most important thing, but the celebration itself being consummate, that, that, is, that, that we, we celebrate the fact that God has a good time, that we may, as you know, John Calvin say our hearts are idol factories and time is another one that we struggle with as an idol in our life. Um, God has good and perfect timing. And in terms of Jesus coming uh, and, and, and being the embodiment of absolute truth and the savior of the world that he made and sustains was done just in his time. 
Galatians 4.4 puts it this way. Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, right? So Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So God had his preference in the particulars of how things happened. And of course, we know that the Bible says that Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. That's a time reference. And the time reference of Jesus being crucified was that the plan for Jesus to be uh, the salvation for all mankind preceded the creation of the world and time itself, right? And so God has always had a plan. It's a part of the doctrine of God's omniscience and the fact that he knows everything. Uh, and, and that is true. Now, here's a question for you. Do you think that God is an on-time God? Um, that's, a, that's a big question for you. And of course, pastorally and personally, knowing many of you, that is a very hard, hard question for you to answer. You and I, every single one of us, have a hard time with God's timing in our lives that God has, in fact, done things or allowed, allowed at the very least, for things to have happened that are not expedient or convenient for us at all. As a matter of fact, to the contrary, it completely wrecked our lives, right? So when we ask the very pithy question, is our God an on-time God? That is, that is not a revivalist sort of phrase that can just be used. We serve an on-time God, right? You can't just say those things without the real implication of what that means in everyday life. And yet, it is odd that we are talking about God's time right in the middle of a verse that talks about his lordship. It's not, it's not alone. God's God's time, perfect timing is not over here. It's, it's exactly where it's supposed to be. And so the question for you is, hurtful or not? And it is to all of us, I think. Um, and, and maybe it's pithy to us at the same time. We can, you know, feel two things at the same time. We're human. Um, it doesn't make it any less true for us. Um, in, in fact, I can say this, that admittedly, we've probably all been on the wrong side of someone coming up to us in a very difficult time in our lives when empathy or sympathy should have been employed. And they said something like, well, you know, God's, God's timing is perfect. And we're like, what? Right Now, as a Christian, you and me, can we misuse, can we misuse truth at the wrong time and really hurt people? Of course you can. We just said that you have been hurt by it. Of course, that's the case. And so because we believe in the doctrine of God's perfect timing, uh, it, it should also encourage us to use that good timing as well. Does that make sense? Right? So let's use the doctrine of God's timing in a timely and gentle and good fashion, right? Because saying the wrong thing uh, at the wrong time is not helpful, obviously, at all, anytime ever. But saying the right thing at the wrong time is actually ended up ending up saying the wrong thing, right? And, and, and unfortunately, because we're human and we're very reactionary, and if you're anything like me, impulsive, you think and try to be helpful, and then you realize what you've said when you've said it, and you thought, if you've sympathized with that individual, man, if I was him, I would not have wanted to heard that, right? Um, and, and yet that's just us. Want to be helpful, yet not helpful, right? And, and, and so, so here's the thing. Don't let that 
you know, tension move you into fear and trepidation and just not ever say anything ever biblical in fears of getting it wrong. That's not the right direction to go here. The right direction to go here is to ask God to give you help and just follow the example and the commands of the brother of Jesus in terms of talking and listening and anger and be slow to speak quick to listen and slow to wrath. And, and this, this, this is a good, this is a good uh, paradigm um, for you to operate in, right? It is an algorithm of life. I mean, it should be something that we can and should work our way through. So we know that God's timing is perfect. And sort of that's one of the doctrines that you're going to walk out of here with today. But it should not be one that you misuse or that you should mishandle, right? Um, so... Um, let's talk, let's get into it here. And, and, and that is this part of the verse, which talks about the Lordship and the headship of Jesus Christ to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on things on the earth. So obviously you all know that what, what the term Lord means, Lord means by definition, master, owner, ruler. If you ever see Lord in the all caps in the old Testament, it just means Jehovah or Yahweh, right? It's, it, it's, it's the spoken unspoken name for God in the old Testament, and, um, and that's what's there. So that Lord is different because it's talking about that's actually a proper name for God. Um, Lord is, of course, a title for Jesus uh, that precedes his name and office, uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, it means master, owner, ruler. That's, that's what it means. And so uh, lordship and headship, these themes go closely together. Um, and when it says in our verses here that, you know, that, when God came to save the world and when he won victory over sin and death, what he did was united all things in him, things in heaven on things in earth. That's, that's a way of saying God has won the day. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about winning and losing in life. Do you remember this, having this conversation? Talked about winning and losing in life and the fact that Jesus never loses anything. Uh, particularly, we're talking about the victory of God and what that means for Christians like you and I and how that affects us, our mood, our disposition, the fact that we serve a God who wins, right? Um, which sounds very bizarre, um, coming from a pulpit, right? That those ter that terminology of success, um, but in fact, it's it's true. So, um, headship is a major theme in the Book of Ephesians. It's talked about in chapters one, here, uh, in chapter four, and again in chapter five. Uh, when we talk about the headship and the lordship of Jesus, we have to talk about uh, a very familiar passage of scripture in. Philippians chapter two will be very familiar to you as I read it. Verse nine says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. That's lordship right there, right? That every knee will bow, Lord and head, right? Uh, in heaven, in the spiritual realm, in the non-physical, immaterial realm, and on the earth, and under the earth, in every realm that can and will be, uh, everyone will submit to Jesus Christ. And every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, Lordship, Headship, to the glory of God the Father. Now, here's the thing. The good news, friends, is that Lordship and Headship for you as a confessing believer who has faith and in love for Jesus Christ and a repenter, it looks great. If you're an unbeliever, this is what headship and lordship looks like for you to unbeliever. Judgment. That's what it looks like. Okay? That's the only implication for you. Uh, because master, owner, ruler, and head, 
okay, for the unbeliever means judgment, period. There's no other nuance. There's no other meaningful definition. That's it, right? Uh, you reject you you reject the Son of God. You reject the Son of God. You reject His Lordship. Um, of course, as Philippians says, you 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 are going to confess. You are going to bow, I and mean, that is that is a given. It's a non-negotiable. It's gonna happen, right? But for the believer, we enjoy a God who is massive, victorious, supreme head, Lord, and calls his creation to do, uh, as C.S. Lewis says, uh, the best thing that is possibly, the, the best thing for humanity is to worship the God that made them, right? It, it, it just makes good theological sense. Um, headship is further elaborated on uh, later on in our chapter in Ephesians 1, verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fits all in all. Here's the thing. The lordship of Jesus Christ, the headship of Jesus Christ, uh, is to me a place where I can settle in and rest. Uh, because it, it, shows me, um, it shows me how strong he is. It shows me how weak I am. And it puts me exactly in the place that I'm supposed to be, right? Um, and that is in active worship, even in that weakness, in active worship um, as a citizen in God's kingdom, right? Sermon on the Mount, we love that because it tells us what kingdom citizenry looks like um, under the lordship and headship of Jesus Christ, which the head of the church preaches those glorious chapters. Uh, which brings us to the next part uh, of, of this prayer, which is in verse 11. He continues on uh, talking about inheritance as salvation and treasure, and that's your point for verse 11. Inheritance as salvation and treasure. Inheritance as salvation and treasure. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, salvation, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now that is not the first time that we've heard predestined in this, in this chapter. And we're only in verse 11. We're only in verse 11. And this is now the second time we've heard predestination. It's not the only time that we've heard according to the purpose of him. It's not the first time we've heard that in this short chapter. And it's not the first time that we've heard according to the counsel of his will. Either Paul has a conceptual stuttering problem or he really wants uh, Ephesus to echo these biblical prayers, right? And, and for them to know them, right? Uh, so what is an inheritance? When you think inheritance, let me just tell you, it is altogether different from the ancient Near Eastern idea of what inheritance was, right? Being the good capitalists, unfortunately, that we are. Uh, when we think inheritance, what do we think? We're greedy, right? And, uh, and we immediately think mom and dad's money, right? And yet inheritance uh, and even headship there uh, deals with... Uh, what it is, uh, it really deals with rights to the family estate, 
right? And, and it also deals with the family government. So there's a lot there. So when we think of inheritance, we think about our livelihood, um, uh, you know, making economy, making a living, uh, uh, the place in our family, honor and shame, all of these things in inheritance comes forth. And inheritance, even for the nation of Israel, beyond their everyday idea of inheritance, which I just gave you, their inheritance was seated in a theology of land, okay? Uh, theology of land, okay? You and I do not have a theology of land. Um, we don't, right? We don't feel that, or at least if we feel like this, then you feel it alone because I don't feel it with you, that America is a sacred space ge geographically, right? Or that Ecuador is a sacred space uh, or that Syria is a sacred space. But the people of Israel, their theology of land was quite different from ours. Why? Because God Almighty came and spoke to them and said, this land belongs to you. So their, their theology of land is admittedly different than mine. And their theology of the land was wrapped around the inheritance given to them. And God said, I'm going to plow the road and the people that get in the way of this promise. Let's go. And he did it. And uh, Moses didn't see it, but God kept his promise transgenerationally over the generations. He kept his promise both to Abraham, to you, and uh, to the children of Abraham and Joshua finally entered the land. So here, here's the idea. When we think, when, when you think inheritance in the scriptures, you need to immediately think for your English ears and American heart, you need to think possession. That's, that's really what you need to think. Possession and treasure. I think that's most, most important. The Bible uses this term. The Bible uses the term portion, which we don't use unless we're talking about a portion of a piece of pie, right? Uh, so it, it's not, it doesn't exactly translate, but portion is a very important word and inheritance, portion, possession, treasure, all of these, what they call the semantic domain or the meaning that surrounds a word, it's all in there. It's all together, okay? Um, so consider Psalm 73, which is a beautiful prayer of surrender to God. Um, Psalm 73, uh, verse 25 and 26, whom, whom am I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh, David says, and my heart may fail, so my body and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can anybody just take a stab at what that word portion means it, within this context? My flesh fail, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Anybody want to take a guess at what that, what that may be? We'll talk about it and go Socratic for a second. Anybody, anybody? Reward? Reward? Yeah, yeah. Reward, um, yeah, and my reward forever. I mean, that's that's certainly part of what part of what inheritance has. Um, I think I think the best way that I can I can tell Tariq about it, right, which is oftentimes the best way to communicate to our heart, is um, this idea of everything. It's my everything. Um, so watch this. And my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my reward forever. That, that actually works very well, very well. Um, and listen to this. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my everything forever. That you can probably hear better, right? Um, 
uh, in terms of it, and hopefully it doesn't sound too much like a romantic love song, you know, especially to you guys who have a hard time with that uh, uh, piece there. Um, but when we say portion, that's exactly what we mean. Um, th the original language here means uh, everything. It is, it is my everything. And, and, and Israel's inheritance was their everything. Um, uh, so they considered God to be their inheritance. They also considered the land to be their inheritance. They, they considered God to be their God, right? Your people be my people, your God, my God. Naomi told, Ruth told Naomi. Um, uh, that, that, was, that was it. God was their everything, right? Um, and here it says, in him we have an obtained an inheritance, a portion, and everything, right? And in this case, the inheritance, the, the everything here is God's salvation, right? Because again, you don't have a theology of land, do you? Uh, and so what is your everything? Your everything is not a land where you can flourish and the kingdom of God can be set up on the earth according to your wrong expectations of what God was going to do there, right? Uh, it is Jesus saving you from yourself and from your sin um, forever, right? Deuteronomy 4.20 puts it like this, uh, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, that is redemption uh, from Egypt, out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance uh, as you are this day. Um, again, Lamentations chapter three, uh, verse 24 talks about God being the portion, the uh, God being portion or everything of the people. Uh, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Just in a few verses down next week, we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Talking about the Spirit of God. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? And again, inheritance is talked about again in verse 18. If you'll just draw your eyes down to uh, the end of the chapter there in Ephesians 1.18. Having your eyes uh, of your heart enlightened that you know what the hope is to which you were called. Uh, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints? So every time that inheritance is talked about or portion is talked about, everything is talked about, uh, it is generally all spoken from the people to God over and over and over and over again in multiple genres of literature, in both Testaments, this is the case. Uh, except this wonderful thing happens in the Bible and God being awesome and communicating to you the difficult doctrine of the love of God comes out in places like Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 9. Please write that down. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 9. And this is not the only time he does it. He does it in multiple places. And he, he, um, he flips the script completely on how affection is to be drawn. And he turns it around and he says, and I quote here in verse 9, um, uh, but the Lord's portion, the Lord's inheritance, the Lord's everything is his people. It goes, it goes on further to talk about inheritance. It says, Jacob is his allotted heritage. So parents of children, uh, you can understand the, the great need for um, your children's future. You feel perpetuity in it, right? You're like, wow, I mean, wh what's going to come of them? And then you hope and wish for good things, right? That's the sense of portion, inheritance, everything, a possession that's, that's kind of the idea there here. Well, God flips a script and looks at you and I, 
looks at you and I in all of our unworthiness, in all of our brokenness, in all of our humanity, in all of our mess, and he looks at you and me just as he did here to them. And he says, God's people are his treasure. Wow. This is just incredible. I mean, this is, um, this is, this is the great love of God that your heart and mind reacts to. There's a spiritual reaction in a scientific laboratory that happens. And when God pours out his love on you, you can't help, you can't help but then transfer that love to others. And that's the reason why week after week it's important that you feel loved by God. And in this case, possessed by God. God's own possession. Possessed by God. Um, it's so, so very critical. Of course, this idea of inheritance uh, as possession, portion, and treasure is not new to you. We just got out of uh, Peter's literature and 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, we started that book like this in verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's not just Paul's message. It's not just Moses' message. It's every uh, single uh, genre that we have here in Scripture because the Scriptures are inspired by God, because the Scriptures were inspired by God, because of the doctrine of inspiration and inerrancy actually exists, then it is the will of God and is right, to, to put forth the counsel of, of God, the doctrine of God, and put it to you and say, God loves you. He is to be your portion and possession, everything, and you are his. Unbelievable. This is absolutely unbelievable. And it will, it will change the way that you look at things. Because, friends, to be, we all want to belong. That's, that's just the truth. But what about a life that's completely dominated with the assumption that we belong to God and he belongs to us? What about that possession? And here's the thing. That sounds strangely like adoption to me, which we just got through talking about last week predestined to adopt us was last week. That was the verse. Verse 8, predestined to adopt us. Why? And we talked about this last week. Predestination rarely comes up where the language of adoption or the strict language of adoption itself is not talked about, right? It's about God loving you, choosing you, uh, belonging to you and you belonging to him. You given full family rights in the family of God that's what you enjoy with the forgiveness of sins which Jesus gave you. So here's my question for you. Is, this is just the application question for you, right? Is God your portion, your hope, your inheritance, your treasure? When we ask the question, are you hoping in God? Or when we tell you hope in God, that's ultimately what we're asking. When we, we, we say that, and, then, and then this, this hope in God has, had, has enjoyed plenty of popularity over the years, primarily because Piper and all of his influence had his website named, his church website name changed from Bethlehem Baptist Church to hopeingod.com. Holy cow, right? You think he was trying to communicate to something to somebody. And ultimately, what, what would that, that now maybe overused uh, Christian question or statement mean? And it means, are you treasuring God? 
Have you laid hold of God? Is, is, is God your hope? Have you fixed your eyes so far off Christ for so long that five o'clock really is, really is your great hope? Is that it? Is that, is that the great driving force of your life? Or as Andrew said, is that your great reward? Is that your inherent, or do, do, do you live by a different set of assumptions? Do you, do you live with the greatest thing in your life, meaning that you belong to God and he belongs to you? David Wells said, and I quote here, it is the, um, the Presbyterian minister in the ex- inextinguishable knowledge of being owned by God, uh, by a transcendent God that forms our character and his ownership challenges every other contender so that we know that we belong to God and that changes everything. That changes everything. And of course, um, it, the reason it changes everything is because God came and chose you, didn't he? Right. Um, Jesus talked about it. He said, no one comes to the Father unless uh, he is drawn by him. Period. Paul unpacks this doctrine of being chosen. Israel models it for us in the Old Covenant and Testament. Um, uh, you were chosen by God who is free to choose. You certainly were not not chosen by God who is a by God who is restricted. That's for sure. Um, you were chosen by a free God, and of course, you were chosen because it was His purpose to love you. And it was his purpose to save you. And of course, Jesus was part of his purpose. This is now, uh, how, many, how many times have we heard this over and over again? In our verses today, verse 11, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 5 says this, same chapter, according to the purpose of his will. Verse 9 says, according to his purpose, right? We, talk, we talked about the purposes of man, our own purposes, our own schedules, our own calendars, our own will, our own desires, up against those of God, Right? Uh, your kingdom come, not mine, your will be done, that great part of the Lord's prayer. Um, So when we talk about predestination, when we talk about God's purpose, ultimately what we're saying is this, the salvation of the church, the salvation of the church, just like the salvation of Israel, was not Israel's self-effort, but it was God's own purpose. Israel didn't get chosen by God because they purpose to be chosen by God. Their, their being great as a nation did not cause them to be chosen by God. God freely chose Israel and God freely chose Christ and God freely chose you. Period. Right? Um, did, did Israel get into the promised land uh, because of all their obedience, by the way? Did they? Did Israel claim Palestine because they were faithful? Yes or no? No way. Absolutely not. Categorically not. Are you chosen by God because of your own self-effort? Psalm 44, verse 3 puts it this way. Psalm 44, verse 3 puts it this way. And I quote, for not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. It is not by Israel's streak that they won their own inheritance, but it was by God alone. 
Um, that is to say, you, you are now righteous. And you're like, no, I'm not. Precisely. God qualified you. Uh, God said, here you go. And you're like, I'm not qualified to be righteous. Of course you weren't. Um, but, but someone came and gave you a flawless resume in Christ. Uh, Paul told the Colossians about that qualification like this, reference, referencing inheritance. He said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Well, here we are, it's supposed to be preaching in verse 12, and it's 11, 12. Um, so this is what the verse says. Uh, and we'll have to abbreviate, if that's okay. Uh, so that uh, we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Uh, so the Old Testament uses this phrase too, that the people of God would be a people to the praise of his glory. That is to say, when the people see you, they should think there's someone who lives godwardly, right? She, she, her, her, her life sings praise to God, right? The Fernander family, the Beckham family, the Phelps family, the Tipton family, the Nieto family, you guys, right? That when people, you guys, the zealots, excuse me, the zealots, okay? The, the, uh, the guys with the daggers. Um, <clears throat> uh, that's what zealots did. Um, old stuff there. So anyway, uh, that you are to live Godward. Re really, so, so when it says here in the scriptures, to the praise of his glory, and it's already said it in verse six, and it'll say it again uh, here in just a few words. So here's the thing, again, if it's repeating over and over to the praise of his glory, you need to know why. And, and that is, it, it is a short way of saying sola deo gloria, the fifth sola. That, that's, that's really all it is. All it is, is saying this, your whole life lives to God's glory. And FYI, you can't be incredibly selfish and live to God's glory. You can't do that. We live in a dark, dark, selfish world. And unfortunately, even in our saved state, our own flesh adds to it, does it not? It does. It does. So if we are to be a people, just like Israel was to be a people, who is to live to, to the praise of God's glorious grace, right? I mean, the, their whole life in Israel was supposed to be the fact that God had made them a nation through Abraham and had delivered them out of exile against all odds. 2.5 million people he delivered, right? Out of one of the strongest empires in, in, in the known world at that time. And that they were for the rest of their lives to live in the praise of God. Like when people looked at them, they're like, yeah, those people are always praising God. I mean, that's, that's it, right? So that you would live a Godward life. That when you get up in the morning, that the things that you do would tell your spouse and would tell your children, my life belongs to Christ. And what that means is, is everything that I do is to be done for others, for love of others, and for love of God, as I live sola deo gloria, mind, body, and soul. All my strength, right? The Shema. Um, so yeah, 
you and I are called to live there, right? So, and of course, we're skipping over tons in terms of hope here in verse 12. So that we were, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We're really just sort of talking about the praise of his glory. You and I are to live Godward lives full of praise. People at our work, people at our work should look at us and go, this is what I think when I think this person, right? So we did this thing at work this past week. And I think it's called the Joe, what is it called? Uh, the Johari window, what is it? Anyway, anyway, so so it's where your coworkers come and they tell you what a what a horrible human being you are, or whatever, right? Um, you know, they, they basically, you know, they have all these adjectives that they choose from, and they think, when I think of you, this is what I think, right? And there's positive and negative, and so we got all the results back on that this week. So it's like, oh goodness, right? So, uh, but when that stuff comes back, um, and it, I, I was I was actually delighted. I was praising God when this thing came back. Right. Why? Because I got to see what my coworkers thought of me. Right. And it was anonymous. It was anonymous. So they could really be forthright. And it was like, bam, this is who you are and who you are. And, uh, we had to send it to everyone in our grade, uh, all the teachers that we work with and it all came back. So just like that, right. When, when people see me, what do they, what do they perceive? What do they see? Who, who is he anyway? When I walk in, am, am, I the, am I the angry dad or the tired dad or the impatient dad or the busy dad? I'm definitely that. What am I? When I walk in, do they see the walking embodiment of Sola Deo Gloria? Do they see someone who actually lives in a selfish, dark world who was there all day, who got up in it and is walking in to bring light to his children? And man, somebody starts singing the, you know, the invitation and let me pray, right? So it, it, it's horribly convicting. It truly, it is. That's what we mean when we say a people who are called to live uh, selflessly um, to the praise of his own glory. I cannot turn praise to something outside of myself, namely God, if I am telling with all of my other actions in my life, you need to come and worship Ryan. You just need to come defer to me. You need to do what I tell you to do, right? Uh, or, or any other sort of selfish disposition that I may say, exude, imply, or be passive about, right? It's just not okay. Um, so when we say to the praise of his glory, that's, that's what we're talking about. And here's the thing, guys, we're not exegeting commands. We're exegeting a prayer. This is a prayer. Uh, it is a high prayer, but it's a prayer nonetheless, right? Um, so, uh, what would be a great exercise for you to do to pray this prayer? Notes here, right here, right? Text here, notes here, pray through it and, uh, let the Lord continue to work in your heart and life. We're still not to the end of this prayer. Maybe by next week, we'll, we'll, we'll get there, okay? And we'll, we'll finish all this out. Um, thank you for your, your kind attention. Let me encourage you to sort of ruminate over this this week and uh, uh, talk about it uh, with, with those that are present and, or with those that are not. And um, yeah, people that, that you were close to, I mean, I certainly encourage you to do that. Okay, we're gonna take the Lord's table today. And... Um, let me encourage you to uh, freely take, see the gospel, see God's 
See, God's manifest love for you in Jesus Christ. See, grace poured out to you. Um, and uh, yeah, let me in encourage you to receive the mercy that God freely communicates to you through this weekly taking of the table. Um, will you too, will y'all serve us today? That'd be great. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your presence with us and your great love. Um, what a good, good God you are. Um, and we uh, thank you for commanding us to, uh, to take this table uh, with whatever frequency um, is, is chosen. Uh, that every time we do take it, we remember you. We remember your glory, uh, your work, your, your attitude and disposition, your love for so many. Um, your provision and salvation for us. Um, and so, God, we pray that as we come to this table, we would see our own sin, um, that we would be sympathetic towards others in our workplace because, because today we saw our sin at the table, um, and that we would love freely um, and, and full of grace others today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're free to take the Lord's table. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com.